I think generally when guys lose money on a property, it's not that the property was a bad piece of land or a bad asset. It's not that they bought it at a bad price. It's not that they didn't understand construction or they didn't understand property management. It's not that the market turned on them. Usually it's that they couldn't execute internally and they tried to take on too many projects at once and they just couldn't handle them. They overextended themselves. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Don Winner. How you doing, Don? I'm doing great, Joe. How about yourself? I'm doing great as well and looking forward to our conversation a little bit about Don. He's the CEO of DLP Real Estate Capital, a family of real estate solution companies with 350 team members. 750 million in assets under management and 100 million plus in annual revenue. They've got 10,000 units owned, 12,000 homes and apartments acquired and based in a couple places, Allentown, Pennsylvania. And Don, where are you located? St. Augustine, Florida, and just south of Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Just south of Jacksonville. So first, Don, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus, and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. So I'll give the minute or two version. So I started in real estate sort of by mistake, probably like most people. I was a college student at Drexel University in in Philadelphia, and I was actually spending my days knocking on doors, literally all day knocking on doors while I was in college for ADT security, and became the number one sales rep in the country for ADT, and I was making five to $8,000 every two weeks, thought I was on top of the world. I was 19 and 20 years old, and the guy who owned the company was in real estate, and this was 2006. Everybody was in real estate in 2006, and he told me if I could sell alarm systems knocking on doors, I'd do great selling real estate. So I got my real estate license, started selling real estate. That led to very quickly starting to flip real estate, which then at the bottom of the market led to building a a real estate portfolio of stressed single-family homes, scattered multifamily, all the commercial food groups. That led us to build a construction company to handle all the renovations, led us to build property management to handle all the management led us to need to open private investment funds to bring in capital to fund all the growth. That led down a path of starting to lend capital to other investors and growing a large lending business and then further writing equity and partnering with other operators. And kind of to fast forward all that now today, you have a family of 350 team members across eight total companies headquartered, as you said, in Pennsylvania, Florida offices really throughout the East Coast and having a lot of fun at it. What do you miss about door knocking? (laughs) It was a lot of fun. The simplicity of the one appointment sale, the simplicity of you knock on the door, 
you put your head down and shuffle and walk in that door and you walk out with a signed contract and a commission check. The simplicity of that type of sale was pretty awesome. It was a great way to cut your teeth and learn the basics of sales, but been having a lot more fun since then, but it was a great experience. So how many units does your company own right now? We own somewhere between 10,500 and 11,000 units right now. And where are they located? We're heavy in the Southeast. We're in total of 15 states. We're heavy from North Carolina down to Florida. We're also heavy in Pennsylvania, New Jersey due to that's still where the company's headquartered and we have a lot of relationships and assets. But we're out as far west as Arizona. We're as far north as South Bend, Indiana. But we're in 15 total states that we own anywhere from 200 to 3,000 apartments and homes. And how are you able to manage that process? Great question. So it starts, of course, with great people. And it's really what we've done. The number one place, you'd ask me that question earlier, where do I spend most of my time? The largest segment of my time is spent on hiring and developing leaders. So we've really built a culture of our mantra is leaders made here. So we built great leaders throughout the individual businesses, empowered them to grow and take ownership and lead. And that's been really the key to our ability to scale both geographically and the new business lines and sitting in different seats within these different business lines and transactions. And we'd love to talk more about that. But just first, just to, so I'm wrapping my head around this correctly, you said you have 350 team members. How many of those are W-2 employees? 325. <laughs> so you have 325 W-2 employees across eight companies. What company of the eight has the most employees? Property management. <laughs> uh, yes. Of so course. we have about 150 in property management. Okay. And why have your own property management? Because I'm sure you did some pros and cons of starting your own management company. Yeah. To be honest, in the beginning, the types of properties we were buying, it was hard to find good management. When you're buying 20-unit, 40-unit, 60-unit type properties, there's really not good professional management out there, at least not that we were able to find in the secondary and tertiary markets we were in. So in the beginning, there really wasn't any other option. And then as we grew, we evaluated and we've used third-party management, and we have some of our portfolio today, about 2,000 of our apartments, we do have third-party management, but we still provide the construction management and the asset management. But Really, at the end of the day, your job as running a business is operations, and your ability to execute is the key in any business, and certainly managing real estate is no different. So I believe that my interest, my alignment, and the interest in generating profits at the asset level is always going to be much greater than the interest level in the management company whose goal is to drive his bottom line. So the alignment of interests are in place when you own your own management company. And then we believe strongly that by executing what we call our elite execution system, which is how we run each of our businesses and the disciplines of executing, of hiring, of laying out clear strategy and business plans, and then doing the things every day, building the right forms of communication, solving issues, managing your top priorities, the ways we've built that throughout our organization allows us to get significantly better results than any other management company we've been able to come across. And since that's the case, why have 2,000 units be with third-party management? So when we go into a new market, so example, we're going into Arizona. We didn't own anything within six or seven hours of this new community we just bought in Arizona. So in that specific case, we didn't have any infrastructure in place yet. We didn't have any relationships yet, didn't have any contractors yet. So it was easier. In that case, actually had, it was one of the rare situations where we bought a property that already had pretty good management in place. 
So it's just a lot easier to keep that third-party manager in place initially, who already had the knowledge of the asset, the knowledge of the market, the knowledge of the people, than to force change. And with all my senior leadership being remote, make it a lot more challenging. So generally, we'll, we'll bring in third-party if it's a new market to us, we don't have experience. And then if they do an incredible job, we'll keep them. If they don't, then we take over the management. So let's, let's talk about the Phoenix portfolio or property. Can you tell us some details about it? So this property is in, in actually right outside of Tucson. Uh, Tucson. Um, and uh, um, so it's a... I, I made a poor assumption. <laughs> so and this is 196 units built in 1997, Class B community in a Class B plus neighborhood. Okay. And how did you find the deal? I actually bought it through an auction platform. So we've actually done pretty well buying through auction platforms because generally, especially this platform, you had to wire 10% deposit. It was a $14 million deal, 10% deposit within 24 hours of winning the auction. You have to close in 21 days with no contingencies. So generally, kind of what we joke is smaller operators generally don't have the ability or the confidence that they can pull the money together that quickly. And the big guys, the guys sitting in, in New York, generally the big Wall Street funds, they generally can't get the contract signed in 21 days, let alone close on the asset. So we've generally done very well on those types of deals with very short timetables and very hard terms. Well, that's interesting. What platform is it? Real Insight Marketplace. Okay. How many deals have you bought from Real Insight Marketplace? Five or six. In the first one, how did you get comfortable with buying the first one off of a online auction. I assume it's an online auction. Platform. Correct. You have to be willing to invest and do your homework upfront. So you have to be willing to invest in doing your due diligence, getting out to the asset, doing everything upfront when you know there's a good probability that you're not going to win the auction. You have to make that investment, get to the point of 100% confidence before the time of submitting your offer so that then you're confident in the asset and your underwriting but also in your ability to get closed quickly and, and understanding what all the hair that could come up as you're finalizing up your capital structure and getting the deal closed. So what do you do, tactically speaking, to get 100% comfortable with purchasing a property where you'll have 21 days to close with no contingencies? I'd say the first place for most people starts is you, know, you have to be confident you have your capital in order. So that's the first thing that we focus on. Beyond that, then it's, it's understanding the asset in the market at a high level. So generally, our due diligence process consists of a team going out to the asset, our acquisition team, our construction management team, and our asset management team. And typically, in this case, this property didn't have a heavy redevelopment component, but when they do, generally bringing contractors and often bringing our third parties, bringing an engineer out right away. If there's not already one, in this case there was, getting a phase one done on the property before you even have it tied up. But bringing a full team out there, spend a couple of days, walk through every single unit, dive deep into the asset, do your full lease audit and evaluation of the financials up front, and then getting out to the competition. That's, that's a really big part of it, truly understanding the market. This was, again, our first deal in a new market. So getting to know the market, getting to know the competition, getting to understand the demands, getting to understand the large employers in the market, understanding the demographics, understanding the tenant base and getting comfortable we're going to be able to continue to execute over the five or seven year business plan that we're laying out for that property. Approximately how long does it take to complete this part of the process for you? I know on the ground you said a couple of days, but I imagine the lease audits and looking at the financials, that takes a little bit longer. 
Yeah, if, if we're under a short timetable like a deal like this, we're generally going to complete the whole process start to finish in about seven days. Like most, we prefer to have a little more time, but when we're operating under a short timetable, generally we'll complete the majority of our due diligence in about a week. And what part of what you just said, are there still some lingering things that could bite you in the butt just because you were having to compress your timeline to seven days? Yeah, it's a great question. Like any deal, we look at it as a deal or an asset can be a great asset at one price and a terrible buy at another price. So one of the great parts of buying on auction platforms generally is you're picking up assets at a lower basis that gives you a little bit more room. So anything we're not 100% confident we've nailed down, then we just assume the worst in our underwriting. We'll assume the worst and what it's going to cost us, or if we're not 100% confident with what rents we're going to be able to drive through an upgrade package, we're going to assume the most conservative side of our analysis and max out our max bid based on more conservative underwriting. So generally, the more holes we have in our underwriting at the point of the auction, just the lower our bid's going to be which can result in us getting a better buy or, of course, can result in us losing out because we weren't able to complete and check every box in in our underwriting, so we came in more conservative. I believe you said you've closed on six properties on that auction platform. Did I hear that right? On that specific auction platform, yeah. We bought bought many, many on multiple different auction platforms, but on that specific one, yep. Okay. On that platform, approximately how many bids have you put in to get those six closings? We probably bid on 15 assets to win those five or six. Oh, so 15, which includes those six or 15 that you didn't get. Wow. Correct. So we have 33 to 40% hit rate generally on auction deals that we decide to bid on. We feel we have a good chance at, and we do, you know, our homework up front to determine what the whisper price is, what the reserve price is, really where is the thing going to shake out to know if it's something we're going to put forth all that energy and effort around. If you mobilize your crew to go do that seven-day exercise and go visit the property and do the lease audits, do you generally then move forward with making an offer? Generally, yes. There's certainly exceptions to the rule that you come up with something you just don't want to tackle or deal with. Or it's usually less about the physical asset than it turns out that an issue with the neighborhood that we don't want to tackle whether that be crime or drug, or just we see negative trends in population growth or socioeconomic changes going on that we don't feel confident in the basis that we didn't have the most accurate assumptions before we got out to the asset. That's generally what happens. It's less about the asset than the neighborhood. In general, we like to buy C plus, B minus assets in B plus or better neighborhoods. So if it turns out to be a neighborhood that we don't think we're going to be able to control or change, then that can be what turns us away from an asset. What online platform have you bought the most properties on? In terms of multifamily communities, we bought on many of them, but I'd say the one we've historically been the most active on has been 10X. Mm-hmm. How many would you say you've closed on that? Maybe 15. Any recent ones? I don't think we've won any in 2019. In 2018, we definitely bought a number of assets. I know we've been the bridesmaid on a few this year, but I don't think we've won any this year. And any nuances that you've identified from one auction platform compared to another that you think would be relevant to share? I'd say some of them have more flexible terms, but the more flexible the terms are, generally the higher the pricing is going to go. So example on 10X, they've started providing debt options or giving you time to place debt, which as an operator, of course, that's a great thing. And we actually, on the lending side of our business, 
have funded a ton of auction deals for other operators because we're one of the few lenders who will close loans in 20 days. So it's actually been a huge source for us not only to buy deals, but actually to fund deals to other operators. And some of the auctions that we've lost out on, actually we've ended up funding the guy who won the auction. <laughs> and because we already underhooked the property, we were comfortable with it and we could close it in 21 days. So that's happened many times. More times that we funded other guys buying deals than we've bought them ourselves. But when auction platforms start saying, hey, we'll give you a 30-day extension, we'll give you a 60-day terms to place financing, or sometimes they'll say, hey, we'll give you unlimited time as long as you're working with our lending partner. That's generally when everybody realizes, hey, I can have a lot of time and I have time to go place debt and I can go get financing, then that opens up the buyer pool times three or four or five or 10, Mm -hmm. that if they had to close in 21 days or even 30 days, wouldn't be bidding. When that happens, generally we're not able to be the buyer because people are going to be willing to overpay when they can go out there and place some CMBS debt or something that operators will use to get interest-only 10-year paper that they can justify paying prices that to us don't make sense. So we actually love for us as an operator and we love as a provider of, of debt and equity to other guys when there aren't time typically to place financing because that's where we can excel and get the best deal and bring value. And what makes you like a deal as a lender but not like the deal as an operator? That's a great question. So I'd say if one of our partners or borrowers comes to us with a deal that they want to fund, we don't compete against them. So a lot of times we do like to deal a lot as a lender, but in many cases we'll go and provide equity to them as well. A big majority of deals where we provide debt to, we end up providing the majority of the equity as well. So a lot of times when deals do come to us for debt, we really do like them and we provide then capital in them as well. But we just had a deal, it wasn't an auction deal just this past week that we were bidding on and then we found out one of our close partners that we do a lot of business with was bidding on the same deal. So we didn't bow out, but we strategized with them and we still put out an offer, but we purposely put out our offer to be inferior terms to the partner to help his offer actually look better. And we actually helped him win the deal. And we ended up coming in and we're providing both the debt and we're providing 90% of the equity on that deal, but we're doing it with another operator. We're allowing him to run and manage and execute on the property. In other cases, we've had situations where we put offers in on a deal. We lost out because somebody else was willing to pay a little more. And then we find out who the winner is and we come and offer them capital into the deal and have operated that way as well many times. Tell us about the deal that you've lost the most amount of money on. Yeah, good question. So I can't really say I had a deal that I've lost a lot of money on. We certainly had some single family flips. We've done a couple thousand single family flips. One that comes to mind, we renovated a house start to finish, a beautiful house, sold it. It was like a $350,000 house. And a week before closing, a realtor or an inspector doing the inspection, we never identified who did it, turned off the emergency heat switch and shut off the heat. And the whole house froze. It was a long story, but the insurance company didn't cover it. So we ended up having to re-renovate this entire house to the tune of about 80 grand. So it turned it from a 40 grand profit to a 40 grand loss. And that's the biggest loss that I can think of on any property we've had. So we haven't had a lot of times we've lost money. I'd say, but when I think about bad deals, where my mind goes, your deals have gone bad is generally doing deals with people I don't want to be in business with. And I think that's the mistake that people often make is a deal can go bad because you're stuck with a partner who restricts and doesn't provide the capital or doesn't agree with the business plan or slows things down or won't make decisions or whatever the case, or just makes your life miserable. In the early days, like a lot of people, when we first got going, we kind of would partner with anybody who had capital. And we worked with some lousy partners in the beginning that really made deals unenjoyable and sucked some of the profits out because we had to move so slow, answering questions and getting their feedback and getting their approval on decisions. 
that it really slowed us down. So that's been the bigger challenge we dealt in our early days and why we really committed to raising our own private funds that we had complete discretionary control of and then being able to go out there and offer capital to others with complete control has been a huge reason why we have not dealt with those issues since our early days and why we haven't had issues of major losses on deals. It's a big part of it because we do business with people we want to be in business with. So one of the things I think building a relationship with great people is a huge part of success. But the other point I want to make is I think generally when guys lose money on a property, generally it's not that the property was a bad piece of land or a bad asset. Generally, it's not that they bought it at a bad price. Generally, it's not that they didn't understand construction or they didn't understand property management. Generally, it's not that the market turned on them. Usually, it's that they couldn't execute internally. And they tried to take on too many projects at once, and they just couldn't handle them. They overextended themselves. They didn't have any structure in their organization to stay on top of the important things, and time started going by, and things didn't get done. They forgot to pull their permits, and then they had to go backwards. They hired a new project leader and put him in charge of the project, and he completely screwed up because they hired the wrong person. They didn't really train him. They didn't really manage him. They didn't have a way to scale. And what I've seen is when guys go from being successful home flippers or whatever type of investor and want to scale and grow a business, that they tend to struggle not because they don't understand real estate, but because they don't know how to scale a business. They hire the wrong people. They don't partner with the right people. They don't build the internal processes to execute in their organization. They don't have a way to drive communication as the organization grows. They don't have a way to set priorities. They don't have a way to solve issues. They don't have a way to keep out the noise and stay focused on what really matters. And they end up overextending themselves. And even though they may be doing a decent amount of business, end up starting to have losses, end up starting to be inefficient, end up starting to take longer than they used to take them. And they start running a business that's no longer profitable like it was in the beginning. And that's what we see more times than not, especially over the last number of years where the market's been so great. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate advice ever is real estate kind of ties in my last comment in two parts. Number one, be in business with, with people you like. The chug test I heard recently by Steve Sims who wrote Blue Fishing, the chug test. Don't hire anybody or do business with somebody you wouldn't want to go and grab a beer with. So being in business with the right people and then focus on building the internal operations of your business and it'll take care of everything else if you focus on execution in your organization. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. All right. I know you are. First, let's hear from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting-edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com. Okay, best ever book you've recently read? So I read three, four books every week, but my best one I've read recently, I'd say, is Turning the Flywheel by Jim Collins. And what have you implemented in your business from that book? So Turning the Flywheel is a little monogram that he calls an add-on to good to great. And I'm a huge Jim Collins fan. So he doesn't really teach anything new in this book. But what he does is he crystallizes a lot of his teaching, good to great and great by choice and how the mighty fall and really lays it out in a really clear basis. And the biggest thing I'd say I implement is, is he clearly lays out that you need your organization to be discipline centered. And he calls it disciplined thought, disciplined action, disciplined people. 
And he does this amazing job of crystallizing and explaining that. And then he breaks out all his different tools and things he teaches, the hedgehog principle, the flywheel, etc., and breaks them out in a really organized fashion. And it's a tiny little book, takes an hour and a half to listen to, but it's strategy and simplified in a little tiny book. It's amazing. Best ever deal you've done? The next one I'm going to do. What deal have you made the most money on and how much did you make? I'd say actually a deal we're actually selling in three or four days is going to be the most profitable single deal. We bought a property for $7 million in Orlando and we put about a million dollars into it. So $8 million total cost. We put $2 million equity and $6 million in debt and we're selling it for $15 million. We're going to return an $8 million profit on a $2 million investment in a little over two years. A couple things that you did to increase the value that greatly are what? Management was the big play there. So really, really poor management and a really, really poor tenant base. So we spent a lot of energy and effort to turn over the tenant base and put the right people in place there on our end on the management side and changed it from and when we bought the property, there were multiple shootings on the property at the previous year. There were a lot of drug issues. There was unfortunately a rape on the property. And we really focused heavy on putting security in place, not allowing the type of behavior to continue, getting rid of all the troubled tenants and turned it around over the first year and really drove up not only the occupancy and the quality tenant, but the rents as well. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? About two years ago, I launched a foundation called DLP Positive Returns Foundation. And we focus on two epidemics that we believe to be epidemics in America. One is the affordable housing epidemic here in America that's frankly getting worse every day. And second is attacking the job epidemic that we're losing jobs to technology at a rapid pace and believe the only way to solve for that is through through entrepreneurship here in the States. So we're really focused on those two causes, supporting a lot of other great organizations, both in terms of monetary capital, but then also I teach our operating system, our elite execution system, which I just finished writing our book called Building an Elite Organization. And I go and I teach that to social entrepreneurs and help them grow their causes. And it's been incredibly rewarding. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and get your book, Building an Elite Organization? Email is the fastest way to get me, Don at DLP, Dream Live Prosper, Don at DLPREestate.com, Don at DLPRE.com. And of course, you can find us on all the social platforms and such as well. And our website is DLPRealEstate.com. That's how they also can get the book? Yep. So if you shoot me a quick note to my email address as soon as the books come live, which are going to be January 1st, if you shoot me a note, we'll send you out a copy of the book out to you. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the book and also clearly congratulations on the real estate business. Really enjoyed learning about the approach you've taken to acquisitions from on the online auction platforms and what you do to mitigate risk as much as you can what would be a reason why you would pull out not necessarily about the property but really about the market because it's very challenging to change that and then the approach that you take from a mindset standpoint and how you're continuing to learn you're annihilating books on a weekly basis very impressive so i really appreciate our conversation enjoyed it hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon 
Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate the opportunity. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting-edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com. Best ever listeners, go to bec20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, bec20.com.